Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, which features the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. Low-paid migrant workers who form a vital part of Singapore's economy and society have been found to also be a vulnerable segment. Numbering nearly one million persons, or a third of the local workforce, they face several challenges. SMU School of Social Sciences Assistant Professor of Sociology Nicholas Harrigan and alumna Ko Chiu Yi conducted a study to understand about the well-being and challenges of South Asian migrant workers in Singapore. Their research found that while regular workers are quite happy overall, there is a high risk of significant psychological distress among those with injury and salary claims. What is the cause of their distress? What are the key challenges they face? How can we address the related problems? In this podcast, Assistant Professor Harrigan shares the insights and implications of this study. Professor, how did you get interested in conducting this piece of research on migrant workers? It was a couple of years ago, and it was actually some SMU students who invited me along to a soup kitchen in Little India. It's a soup kitchen run by the non-government organization called Transient Workers Count 2, or TWC2. And Soup Kitchen feeds about 150 injured and salary claim workers from South Asia, so India and Bangladesh, every morning and about 300 each evening. And I actually went and helped out with one of their surveys and got to meet and hear the stories of this amazing group of young men. They're about, the average age is 30, between 20 and 40, almost all of them. And um, what I saw was people who had not only had injuries, problems that maybe we do, can't do much about, but these had been compounded by social factors. So these workers had been threatened with being sent home or they had been, or they had run away and now were unemployed. And I kind of saw, uh, you know, social problems compounding, like problems of things like injuries. And I wanted to understand some more. Before we did the study, we didn't really know what was the major drivers. Like we knew these men were in um, quite a lot of distress, but we actually had about, we had like 30 or 40 different hypotheses about what was driving their distress because 40% of them claimed that they, they missed out on medical treatment in some way. And so we wanted to test that and see whether that turned out to have an effect on their emotional well-being. It turned out not to be important, but we found other ones that were quite significant. Tell us more about the research. How did you go about conducting the study? It was in August of 2013. What we did was we um, developed the survey in consultation with the non-government organizations as well as with um, academics from around the world that we consulted. Um, we ended up using this scale from Harvard called the K6 or Kessler 6 scale, which is very reliable um, and validated measure of mental illness and emotional distress. Once we sort of settled on these and designed the survey, we went and over two weeks we collected the data. About 50 SMU students volunteered to help to collect the data. We had it translated into Bengali and Tamil. And then uh, we really surveyed two groups. We surveyed, mostly in the first week, we surveyed about 300, 350 injury and salary claim workers, workers who had injury or salary claims with the ministry. And um, in the second week, we surveyed about 250 uh, regular migrant workers who were just on the streets of Little India, probably there shopping and eating and hanging out with friends. Can you tell us what were the key results and surprising findings that were discovered in this study? What are the major challenges that South Asian migrant workers face? 
The most surprising finding was that injured workers uh, showed quite high levels of emotional distress. It was at a level that um, says that the predicted prevalence of uh, serious mental illness is over 60%. This is quite high in comparison to, say, the US population, where it's about 4%. We also asked um, why this was happening, both amongst injured workers, but also why it was driving emotional distress amongst the just regular work permit holders. And what we found was that amongst both groups, uh, one of the biggest drivers was uh, threats of deportation. So basically we asked them, has your employer threatened to send you home? And this was quite predictive of distress and risk of mental illness. It was also incredibly prevalent amongst the injured workers. So while only about 10% of regular workers said that they had been threatened with repatriation, over 60% of injury and salary claim workers said they'd been threatened. The other two big drivers were um, housing, so workers who were injured or on salary claims who had run away from their employers showed higher rates of distress and um, predicted mental illness, and this actually was the vast majority, somewhere between 90 and 93% of all injury and salary claim workers had actually run away from their employers. The last driver was uh, agent fee debt, so we asked workers whether they had any agent fee debt that was still outstanding that they hadn't paid for. Many of these workers pay from one or two thousand dollars up to ten thousand dollars to get their job in Singapore and we asked them have you still got a debt from this and amongst the regular workers this was a cause of uh, increased levels of distress. Why are workers facing these problems in the first place? Can you elaborate a little more on the underlying issues? The way we understand it from a sort of sociological perspective is with a couple of different concepts. So one is precariousness. So precariousness is basically the idea that someone does not have a secure job contract. Uh, they can lose their job at any time. And when they have this, it creates a level of insecurity. Now, we see the threat of deportation as one of the examples of that type of insecurity. And we all kind of know that from our own work, like when we fear we're going to lose our job or we think that maybe our company is going to close down at court causes this anxiety. Well, these workers are kind of what we might call hyper-precarious. And what we have is a general precariousness, like a general insecurity that they face. And then when they're coming into conflict with their employer, when they're making a medical claim, they come into negotiations with their employer, the employer seems to sort of use this as a point of leverage. So that's point one, precariousness. Point number two is uh, power imbalance. So in a sense, this precariousness leads to a power imbalance between the worker and the employer and this means that workers are very fearful when the threat is made they don't think they can do anything about it so they run away and so you get the problem of housing. The other one is simply not necessarily uh, facing protection from the state so in a sense uh, these workers don't while a lot of the stuff that we're documenting is illegal by Singaporean law, these workers don't necessarily feel that they can access that law or that it will work for them or anything like that. What are some of the ways you propose we can address the problems? In terms of the threats of deportation, the big issue we feel is somehow separating the difference between your employment contract and your visa. Now, if an employer has less control over the right to send a worker home, then they, it's harder for them to make that threat. Now, there are a couple of different ways that could be done. Probably the simplest thing is uh, when a worker is dismissed now, they have to be re repatriated within seven days, uh, which doesn't give them time to find another job. 
if we could just simply let them have a 30-day short-term visit pass, they would have time to look for a job. Now, that wouldn't be perfect because often it's very hard for them to find a job, but that would be a small change that would make a difference. Another one is simply the ability to change employers. So a worker now can only change employers if they can document abuse. Um, but as we all know, it's, we can have bad jobs without actually being abused by our employer, right? We can have jobs we don't like without, without being abused. And taking it to the level of having to be able to document that so that you can prove it in a court of law or such is a very high bar. And it means that these workers who may have quite difficult conditions and may be being treated badly, really have no choice. Allowing them to change employers would make a really big difference as well. In terms of housing, we have a number of different proposals in our report, but the big, probably the most realistic and easiest one that could be implemented is simply that when a worker makes a claim, like a salary claim or an injury claim, they should have the ability to move to some other dorm in Singapore. Um, there are lots of dorms all over over the country, and most like most employers pay for the dorms. They don't actually own necessarily own the dorm itself, and there's no reason why they can't pay the hundred or two hundred dollars per per month for the worker to a different dorm. Uh, the money doesn't have to go through the worker, but then we'd get a separation between the worker and the employer because at the moment the law is structured such that employers are expected to house workers and they're expected to sort of house them in their the, the, the premises that they have and it's not realistic well like we don't think it's realistic that uh, a worker who's in conflict with their employer should have to be living with their employer and that's what leads to a lot of these workers running away in terms of the debt problem we have looked at a couple of really interesting proposals for regulation of offshore migration agents because one of the problems is that agent fees that these workers pay are kind of like complex cross-border tax transactions or you know multinationals hiding tax transact tax because it crosses borders there's a regulatory vacuum and then that gets uh, exploited what we've seen from really good employers like there's a Singaporean employer business called Capella Hotels They've actually implemented a system where they license the agents in sending countries and set the fees that they have to uh, charge. And through this, they've been able to, in about a year, they halved the agent fees that their workers from coming from developing countries were paying. And that's a big difference for someone coming from a developing country. Instead of paying $8,000, they're paying about $4,000. So we think some sort of offshore licensing could really help some of the most vulnerable members of the community. What are the next steps you hope to bring about with this study, which may contribute to some social changes? I mean, one of the first things we're trying to do is trying to um, understand the perspective of other policy actors. So we've been interviewing employers, we've been talking to the ministry, we've been talking to non-government organisations. We want to try to understand um, how each of these actors uh, sees the situation. Unfortunately, there's a huge gulf between the explanations. So the explanations of workers don't really square with those of the employers. Um, but we hope to, by meet, meeting and talking to people and then going and testing some of that, collecting more evidence to be able to see where the truth lies. Uh, we're also looking at um, trying to do a much more uh, larger and representative sample. So we're planning in early next year to do a sample of 
about a thousand migrant workers through a phone survey. One of the problems with this uh, current survey is that it was a convenient sample, which means that we just interviewed workers we could get catch. But we'd like to do one where we have proper random sampling, and we think through that we can get much more precise estimates of lots of these problems. The last one is um, we're also just reaching out to other sectors. So I have a number of projects. One, I'm doing like interviews, like in-depth qualitative interviews with cleaners of HDB estates, also working with domestic workers. And it, it would be good as well to look at the difference between these South Asian construction and shipyard workers and say Chinese workers who seem to have slightly different issues. Thank you, Professor. Thank you.